Since you are here this morning, it means at some level you remembered. Now, maybe for you it was just remembering to set the alarm. Or when your alarm went off, maybe you remembered it was Sunday or Easter Sunday. Or maybe if you're like me, you remembered to set your alarm. You remembered it was Easter Sunday. And most fortunately, you remembered where you left your car keys. We all got here because we remembered. And I say that because when you look at the story of Jesus' resurrection in Luke, one of the key things that happens is this. The women come to the tomb and they're confused. Uh, They're perplexed. They're wondering what happened. And they meet two men, shining in white, who tell them, remember. And then the text says, they did remember. And then at the end of the passage, we run into Peter, who's come into the tomb. and, And we're told he's amazed. He's somewhat confused by what's going on. And we'll find out a few verses later that Peter remembered. When we gather here on Easter Sunday and when we think about how the resurrection of Christ can be real in our life, the key I would offer you this morning in one word is remember. That's what they asked the women to do. So I thought I would think with you for a moment, what are these two men in dazzling white asking the women exactly to remember? I think there are a few responses. The first is, They're asking the women to remember the words of Jesus. Jesus says on two different occasions in Luke prior to this event, he said, now, on the third, I'm going to suffer and be crucified. And on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. He said that twice to them. And then after uh, the resurrection, when he's gathering for a meal with his disciples and with others, he reminds them, he said, I told you that I was going to suffer, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. So the first thing is that, uh, that these men want the women to remember the words of Jesus. And so it might be helpful for us to remember how important it is uh, to remember the words of Jesus. What has he promised us? So when we come to a different situation, we can ask, what has Jesus said about this? Or has Jesus said anything about this? And so to meet Jesus in our life as we go forward, it's important to have some sense of, of what he said to remember his words and remember his promises. But the second thing I think these two men in dazzling white are asking of the women is that they remember a picture that was shown them earlier. Now, to be truthful, the women didn't see the picture firsthand. They heard about it. The picture was this. One day, Jesus went up a mountain with Peter, James, and John. And while he was on this mountain, two men appeared out of nowhere with him. And Jesus became shining white, such as no whiteness they'd ever seen before. And we presume the two men that are with him are shining white as well. We find out later that these two men are Moses and Elijah. They represent Moses, the, the, um, the law, and Elijah, the prophets. In other words, they represent the whole Bible that, that Jesus' disciples would have known. It's a way of saying the whole Bible is pointing, saying, this is it. This is the Son of God. This is the person for whom you've been waiting. But it's a picture, these Jesus and these two men all shining in front of them. And I assume the disciples went down the hill and they told the women who are also following about this picture. I tell you that because the women walk into the tomb and what do they see? Two men shining white. And the inference I think that they are meant to draw is this. These must be the same two and they must have been with Jesus. And that's why they're shining. They're trying to remind them of an earlier picture. So one of the ways to meet Jesus as we go forward in our life is to think about pictures we've seen in the past. Where else have we met him? 
Where else did we encounter God moving in a special way in our life? Or maybe we could say, where has Jesus shown up in other people's lives? If we can call to mind those pictures, that may give us a better chance of recognizing where Jesus may be in the present or in the future. And so memory is about words and about pictures. But I think the most important memory was this, that the two men wanted to trigger for uh, the women at the tomb. And it was this, that Jesus was going to rise on the third day. The third day is code language in the Bible for something big is up. 700 or so years before Jesus, there was a prophet named Hosea. And he once said this in chapter 6. He said, on the third day... God will restore us. And in the Bible, there's lots of third day stories where basically it starts out bad uh, in the first day. The second day, it's not really getting any better and doesn't look like it's going to get any better. And then on the third day, God miraculously moves and intervenes. Now, often in the Bible, it's three literal days, but it can also be a period of time. It could be seasons in our life. In the first season, things aren't going well. Uh, There's a disaster. In the second season, we're struggling trying to live with that disaster. And then the third season, God moves in a a miraculous way in the midst of our disaster. Sometimes it can be longer in a day. Sometimes it could be a matter of minutes. So let's say, for example, you're the pastor. It's Easter Sunday morning. Uh, You're wondering about how much time you're going to have to preach when you stand up there and it's time for the children's sermon. And on the first day, it appears the children's sermon might be getting out of hand. It appears the children have lots of interest in offering their answers. And so you're sitting there going, how is this going to work out? And then there are more uh, more answers coming. And now the dogs are being brought in. And surely you start to wonder everybody could name their dog and We could be here a while and you're there in the second day. And then suddenly, miraculously, Greg says, I have this basket of eggs and let's pray. (laughs) And God has intervened. Sometimes it's three literal days, sometimes shorter, sometimes longer. Let's look at a few in the Bible. Here's first one. Obvious one for the disciples. Um, Abraham has a son named Isaac, and Isaac is very special because Abraham is almost 100 years old when he has this son. This son is more special than Greg's hat. It's a big deal. But on the first day, God said, take your son, your one and only son whom you love, up to this mountain and sacrifice him. On the first day, your world has fallen apart. All the dreams you could imagine as a parent that you have for your kids, suddenly they're out the window. And then they start marching toward the mountain. And on the second day, they see the mountain, but no relief. The orders have not been rescinded. But then we're told on the third day, at the top of the mountain, there's a ram caught in a thicket, and the voice of God says, Stop, Abraham. Get that ram. Sacrifice him and set your son free. And so on the third day, you find an amazing picture of of relief and, and salvation. There's another picture in Genesis on the third day. Joseph's brothers um, don't know Joseph is still alive. They're in Israel. They're hungry. They're starving. So they go to Egypt to get food. They get thrown in prison in Egypt. The first day they're in prison. It's not going well. The second day they're left in prison. But on the third day, they're released from prison. Sometimes in the Bible, on the third day, your salvation comes. Someday, sometimes on the third day, you're released from the things that hold you in bondage comes. And then when they, um, the Israelites escape 
from Egypt. They spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness and then they get ready to go in the promised land and they come to a walled city named Jericho. Probably when you were a child, you learned about the walls that came tumbling down. But before they come tumbling down, uh, Joshua has to figure out just what's going on in that city. So he sends a couple spies into the city. And so they're in enemy territory, which means they have to be hidden from the enemy. And so a woman named Rahab takes them in, but they can't, she can't just let them go at any point. They might be spotted and captured. So she comes up with a plan and she says, on the third day, I'll help you escape out this window when no one is looking. Sometimes it's on the third day where God reunites us with our community or with our family or brings us plans and news that, that change the future. There's another a third day story. This is a little bit of a strange one. Did you ever see Raiders of the Lost Ark? So you remember the ark was a very special box and the special, it was special because God's presence was thought to reside there. And in the box you had the Ten Commandments. You had Aaron's staff that was just a piece of wood that had budded miraculously. And you had manna from heaven. And the Israelites thought as long as they had that box, they were invincible. So they'd march that box into battle, assuming they'd win. Well, one day they didn't. And the nasty Philistines actually captured the box where God was thought to be present. And so it looked on this day as if things were going to be very terrible. And in fact, they were. And they lost the battle. And the Philistines took this box, took it into their temple in front of their god, Dagon, uh, a false god. And, and he was in the form of a statue. And they put the special box, the ark, in front of Dagon. And on the first day, it sat there. And on the second day, there was some movement. But on the third day, just when it looked like the power of God was powerless against Dagon, the people came into the temple of the Philistines and were amazed to find out that Dagon had fallen on his face, the statue in front of the box of God. He had been decapitated and his arms dismembered. On this third day, they found out who really was God. And on the brink of defeat came victory on the third day. And there's another story. You probably also learned it as a child. There's a guy named Jonah, and God gives Jonah an assignment. You know, your mission, should you accept it, Jonah? And Jonah's like, well, I don't want to accept it because I don't want to go to Nineveh. Those people are wicked. They're terrible, and I don't want to tell them you love them. Uh, I'm not going there. So Jonah heads another direction and gets on a ship. And so God basically has Jonah thrown overboard, and he's swallowed by a great big fish. First day, probably not so good. Now, you're probably saying, how do you know that? Well, I'm guessing. I'm guessing. But when I was a child, I saw the cartoon movie Pinocchio. Remember when Pinocchio ends up in Monstro's stomach in the whale? I mean, it's not good. It's dark. Digestive juices of the whale are starting to flow, I'd imagine. Doesn't look good. But what happens on the third day? Jonah is released. It's dark in there. It's like a tomb in there. It's like death being inside that great fish. And then suddenly he's freed. These are third day stories and they're throughout the Bible. So when the women hear third day, they're supposed to remember, oh, yeah, on the first day, there's a crisis. On the second day, it looks like we're just having to figure out how to live in this crisis. And on the third day, then God does something completely unexpected. Now, the problem in our world, as John Ortberg has once said, is that we live in a second-day world. Right now, probably every one of us is struggling in some situation that just doesn't look like it's coming to immediate 
resolution or a resolution that we can even fathom. It's the second day. But while we live in a second day world, we must remember we have a third day God. And so what happens is when the women take this in and remember it, new possibilities open up for them as they open up for Peter. Because I didn't tell you this. Truth in advertising, when you say to a Jew, remember, they don't assume you mean, just think about it. So, for example, um, our uh, anniversary is next month. And I, May 21st, I, I remembered the day. Now, if I do nothing between now and May 21st, and if I've still done nothing by the 1st of June or even the 1st of July, do you think my wife believes that I have remembered our anniversary? Of course not. Remembering means not just calling to mind, but you begin to live it out and to act on it. And a Jew always heard remember as don't just take it to mind, do something about it. So what do you do? If you remember that God is a third day God. Well, here's a suggestion. I picked it up from the women and from Peter in the story this morning. When, when Donna read the story, she said the women came to the tomb and they were perplexed. I'm sure they were. The word also translates they were wondering. And then at the end of the story, Peter comes in. It's a different word in Greek. And Donna read it and said Peter was amazed. But that word also translates in English into wondering. I'm wondering if wondering is how you begin to make what you remember about God to be more real. Wondering is a matter of turning your focus on something. It's beginning to be attentive. It's beginning to to really, really look out and consider the possibilities. Wondering is keeping an eye out for that God that you anticipate to act on a third day. Abraham Heschel, a wonderful rabbi of the last century, said that every day he would get up in the morning, he'd pray to God for a sense of wonder, the sense of amazement, the sense of openness, the sense of possibility that God may even yet today in my life do something. It's called wonder. And he went on to say, our world will never perish for lack of information. Our world will perish for lack of appreciation. The fact that people aren't recognizing what God, God, when God does things, they're just completely missing it. They're not looking, they're not wondering, and the third day comes, and they never even know that it's come. To make it a reality, this presence of Christ in our life, we must remember all the ways that Christ can and has been present, and then begin to wonder and think about that possibility and look for that possibility. Now, let me give just one piece of advice when you do this. I have learned that it's helpful to me when I'm looking for God and hoping for God to be present in a situation to look for someone, not something. In other words, I don't say in the difficult situation, God, you must do ABC. You must do these things. These are the things that if you do them, you will show me that you are here. That's looking for something. Looking for someone to say, God, I know you're going to show up and all the options are on the table. Whatever you need to do, whatever you want to do to break through in this situation, I'm open. To open someone, not something. To have a sense of expectancy that God will act as opposed to an expectation that God must do these things or God has not acted. If we were focused and we are looking and we are open, we may yet see a third day move by God. I'm reminded of the great uh, uh, psychiatrist um, and Christian, Gerald May. 
A couple decades ago, at the height of the ethnic cleansing and the difficulties uh, in uh, Bosnia and Serbia, uh, and, that, and that area, was visiting with people. And he said, I was struck by the, the sense of hopefulness among the people. So I wanted to find out about it. So through a translator, I asked them, uh, what do you hope for? And they didn't answer. And so he tried another way. He said, well, do you hope for peace here in your country? And their response was, it's too late for that. So I said, okay, through the translator, do you hope for the UN to come and intervene or for the United States of America to come over? And they said, it's too late for that. So I said, what do you hope for? Again, no response. So finally he tried a different tact and he said, why do you have hope? And they answered the question with one word in Croatian, but I'll translate it into English for you. The answer was God. They weren't willing to name the specific way that God might intervene and change their situation. They were instead holding it open and looking and waiting for God to do just that. And why not? If Holy Week tells us anything, it tells us that that Jesus can be anywhere. In any situation, look at Holy Week. We've already seen Jesus in the midst of a big crowd in the city. We've seen him hanging on a cross. We've seen him placed in a tomb. On Saturday, we're told by the letter to Peter that he, he, in the spirit, while his body was in the tomb, he went to hell and preached to the servants in hell that, that were disobedient. And then after that, we find him out on a country road meeting the disciples If he can be in the city and out in the country, if he can be on the cross and in a tomb, he can be just about anywhere. And you, if you are open, may meet him. I wonder if he can be anywhere and show up at any place. Could he show up in my marriage? Could he show up in the hospital? Could he show up at work? Could he show up in the church? I wonder. What do you wonder? 